Welcome to Game Time Adjustments. I'm your co-host, James Harrelson, and we're here to help you win all throughout life. Success and adversity have a way of not only illuminating what one stands for, but they have a way of refining one's character and attributes. For Anthony Munoz, he's experienced both. Experiencing both the highs and lows of life, he refused to allow life's circumstances to define him, but rather he used any setbacks as setups and motivation to never hold him back. His story is not so much a rags to riches story in as much as it's an example of relentless faith, enduring perseverance, and a steady resolve to be all that God has created him to be. Drafted in the first round of the third overall pick in the 1980 NFL Draft, Munoz would go on to play 13 seasons while being selected to 11 consecutive Pro Bowls and experiencing the pinnacle of the game by playing twice in the Super Bowl. But that's just the beginning of his many accolades. He would go on to receive such recognition as being enshrined in the NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame and being named to the 75th and 100th anniversary All-NFL teams and his off-the-field involvement is even more impressive, with his philanthropic efforts through the Munoz Foundation and his many business ventures. This man knows what it takes to win both on and off the field. We all have a story to tell, and Anthony's is one that is well worth the listen. In this episode of Game Time Adjustments, NFL great Anthony Munoz shows how humility hard work and continual hustle not only pay off but enable you to help pay it forward let's now join our host bill Pugh as he talks with guest anthony munoz in this episode of game time adjustments So Anthony, really, uh, you you need no uh, introduction, but um, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, kind of where you grew up, a little bit about your family, and uh, some of the you know early on years as far as uh, you growing up in Southern California. You know, Anthony Munoz, I grew up in Ontario, California, which is about 40 miles due east of Los Angeles. Uh, one of uh, five siblings. I got two older brothers and two younger sisters. Uh, grew up in a household with a single parent. My mom raised five kids by herself. Uh, actually lost mom about four, four years ago. Uh, amazing lady, uh, strong. Um, uh, you know, she was one of those ladies that uh, did what she needed to do to provide for five kids. We didn't have a whole lot. I mean, she worked two and three jobs. And I'm talking, you know, when I talk two and three jobs, it's like, tough two and three jobs. Uh, one of her jobs is uh, seasonally, it was uh, going out into the grape vineyards and picking grapes, man. She had her knife. Uh, she would, uh, you know, they were on their knees and, and, you know, bending over all day picking grapes. Uh, the good thing about that is she would bring a bundle of grapes home, which were pretty good grapes growing there in, uh, in Southern California. Another one of her jobs that uh, more, uh, more of a consistent job was we had some friends that owned a chicken ranch and she would go and work full-time packing eggs. Uh, so, you know, unlike the grapes that were really good, I didn't care about the eggs that were brought home because I've never eaten eggs, never liked them, and I never will like them, but uh, my siblings did. And then one of the other jobs, there was many days where we would come home from school, we'd walk home from school with pillowcases full of clothes. She would iron clothes for our teachers. Uh, and I tell people to this day, with all due respect to dry cleaners and those uh, businesses that iron clothes, I don't know if I've ever had my clothes ironed from a dry cleaners or a, 
uh, a business like that as good as mom did. I mean, she was a starch and creases in the pants. And uh, so those are the type of jobs she had for her five kids. We never had a car. We lived in a very small two bedroom home with one bathroom. Uh, you know, one of my brothers is eight years older. So he was out of the house, uh, you know, before I really got into the junior high and high school years. Uh, so that was it. Like I said, we never had a car. My mom was one of 10. So we had relatives that provided transportation at times when we needed it or else it was just, uh, you know, you, you, you walked wherever you had to go. And at a, at a young age, she did uh, get enough money to buy us a bicycle. So uh, my brother and I had a bicycle and that was what we drove around town and, uh, you know, had a chance to do. But, uh, you know, it, it was I wouldn't trade that uh, because there were valuable lessons that we learned. In saying that we didn't have a whole lot, we learned some valuable lessons because in the summertime when she would leave at 6, 6.30 in the morning for work, we had to learn how to cook. We learned how to wash clothes, how to clean house, how to iron clothes. So all those things we learned, uh, it wasn't optional. We learned how to do that because we, she expected us to do it. So uh, we learned work ethic, responsibility, because we wanted to go out with our buddies and play baseball or do whatever we wanted to do. We had to make sure that our chores were done. And, and that carried over as I got older. So uh, that's how I grew up. Uh, like I said, I wouldn't trade it for anything because there were very valuable lessons that I learned, work ethic, responsibility, and just being persistent and uh, you know, moving forward with what you have. And a lot of times it wasn't a whole lot. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I mean, um... You know, different people can interact with the circumstances of life in, in different ways. And I've always, you know, I've heard you heard you tell that story a number of times and I always appreciate, I mean, I think back of the choices and the sacrifice that your mother made. It really is uh, amazing and the legacy that she's left uh, with you and your brothers and sisters is really incredible. What, what's one thing, Anthony, that stands out um, that you kind of think about with regard to your mom that you appreciate and or that you've kind of bring into your daily experience even today? Well, I think that the main thing, and I share, I'll share it a lot, and I was thinking about it when you started into those words, is that I learned not to get stuck in my circumstances. A lot of people, either in your circumstances in your background, in what you don't have or what you have, in adversity, people get stuck in that and blame that on not being able to move forward with your life. And, you know, a lot of times I look at that and see, you know, we didn't have a whole lot, you know, we didn't, but I wasn't going to let that affect me moving forward. To me, it was a motivation. It was an incentive that, man, my mom busted her tail and we didn't have a whole lot. So she, she didn't get stuck in saying, well, there's no, you know, no father in the house. She's raising five for her, by herself, working two, three jobs. Man, she wanted, she showed us that you just move forward and you do whatever you can to provide. And she did that. So there's no way I was going to allow that, not having a dad, growing up in that environment, hold me back. I, I, I wanted to accomplish things. And the same thing going through adversity. I mean, later in life, my mom was stricken with rheumatoid arthritis and not a day went by that she wasn't in pain all day long, but it didn't hold her back from continuing to be the person she was. And that's, you know, that's the one lesson that I learned from her is that don't let those things dictate and hold you back, move through those, allow them to be building blocks in helping you out and moving forward and accomplishing something. Yeah, that's uh 
that's amazing. And, and watching you go through life as a, as a dad, uh, as a former professional football player, um, as a businessman, and uh, certainly running the foundation, starting and running the foundation. I've seen all those things lived out and it's, uh, it's very honoring to your mother. And uh, so let's transition a little bit. So you met uh, Didi uh, during your time at uh, Southern Cal, at the University of Southern California. Talk about why you chose uh, SC as a school to continue your football career and baseball career and, uh, and your academics. Talk, talk a little bit about those decisions and then transition a little bit into meeting Didi and and then you guys obviously going on and getting married. Well, let's just backtrack a little bit because our relationship started when I was in school, but I actually met her, nothing really happened, but I met her when I was a sophomore in high school. Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, Bill, with our long-term relationship, baseball was my first love. So I played a lot of baseball. And as a sophomore in high school, I played in a co-ed softball game and Didi was on the opposite team. And that's really the first time I'd met her again. It was just at the event, nothing happened. So what going through high school, position were you playing and what position was Didi playing? So she was a third baseman and I was a third baseman shortstop. And one of the things that she could do in a women's baseball game is she could hit a line drive right between short and third. Well, being the third baseman, I knew that I kind of took two steps to the left. And every time she just rifle a line drive, I was right there to catch it. So uh, I don't think, uh, I, I made a great impression with her that first uh, that first day, but uh, well, you were just trying to find out how frustrated you could uh, you could make her. That's funny. You know what? You, you just kind of maybe it was trying to do that, and maybe getting a little attention. You know, well, so, I, I bet it was more the attention. I think <laughs> you got that right. I think that was it. Uh, but uh, so then, you know, through high school, I played football, basketball, and baseball. And by my junior year, I was being recruited to go to school and play football. And USC, you know, I grew up 40 miles from the campus. Uh, I tell people, I think really it was the white horse that ran around the track at their games that really attracted me. I basically could have chosen any school across the country, but I knew I wanted to stay close yeah. to home. You know, for someone that had never traveled out of that area, I wanted to stay close to home. So I decided to go there. And after my freshman year, getting back to D the Didi thing, I came back home after my freshman year at USC. And once again, I went to the park where there was a lot of softball being played and I wasn't playing. I think I may, might've played later that day, but there was a woman's softball game going on. Well, one of the players I noticed was Didi. So I went over and start watching the game and we just happened to start talking. We hadn't seen each other in a while. Uh, started talking to her after a softball game. And that was in June that summer after I came back from school and we started dating, we hit it off. Uh, and started dating that summer in June. Went back to school in December of that same year. I asked her to marry me. Mm -hmm. And then that following April uh, of spring of my sophomore year, uh, we got married. And, and I joke, I said, you know, I was really a, a baseball talent scout. I went to that softball game to check the talent out. And I saw, I saw the Hall of Fame softball player, Didi, uh, at the time, Didi Burns. And, uh, you know, so... Uh, but yeah, so we got married my sophomore year in college, which uh, this past April is 42 years that we've wow. been married. And she's amazing. I mean, you know her, Bill. Yeah. Uh, you know, to use football analogy, I, I, I outkick my coverage. She yes. is a, an amazing lady. I'm thankful yeah. that uh, we got together. So my last two and a half years at USC, uh, we were married and uh, 
I tell people it was the best decision I made at that time. Yeah. But it was the second best that I made in, in college. Yeah, very cool. Well, let's just continue with that narrative. So, so you, you get married your sophomore year, which is amazing in and of itself and how <laughs> that all came together. And you had, by the way, a fantastic freshman year. Didn't you play all, all, all 11 or 12 games in a well, row? Well, actually, I played about seven, and I went through my first knee operation uh, right before the UCLA game, which in four years of high school, I played football, basketball, and baseball. And I don't remember missing a game because of injury going from sport to sport. But I wasn't actually starting, but I was playing in every game, about half the game. Okay. And then the week of the UCLA game, I went down with my first knee operation. I hurt my knee in practice. So I went through a surgery, missed the UCLA, Notre Dame, and Rose Bowl. And as for some young man that's you know wanting to, to go to USC back in the 70s, that's what I wanted to be part of. I mean, they were yeah. winning national championships, Rose Bowl, you know, doing all this stuff. But uh, my first year, I'm sitting there in those three big games uh, rehabilitating the knee operation. So it, it started well my freshman year, but ended yeah. up uh, – with a little adversity. Transitioning then into your sophomore year, that's when, uh, again, you get married to yeah. Dee Dee. And then that's when some guys on the team, uh, I, I believe it was Brad Buddy, is that right? Started. Well, Brad Green. Brad Green was actually, uh, Brad was involved, Buddy was involved, but Brad Green, uh, just let's go back to the freshman year. It was the first time that uh, one of the campus crusade for Christ staff okay. kind of sat me down and, I, I say that we sat down mutually, but I kind of say he kind of trapped me into sitting down and talking the spiritual things, which I really hadn't been a part of it, hadn't been a part of my life. Right. But, you know, we sat down my freshman year and he really stimulated the thought, the thought process of, you know, asking me how I was doing here, how I was doing there. Then he asked me, how are you doing spiritually? And I'm like, okay, how do I answer this one? <laughs> so I said, I'm doing fine. And that was the first time, Bill, when somebody actually shared about, God's love and God's plan for salvation and shared with me the person of Jesus Christ, which I'd never really heard in that context. I'd heard his name a lot growing up, but not the way uh, Ed Holtz was talking about Jesus that time. And then the spring of my freshman year, we had an offensive lineman transfer in Brad Green. Now, Brad Buddy, who you mentioned, we came in as freshmen. We roomed together as freshmen. Okay. So that freshman year, Brad Green transferred in from a junior college and one of the first things we saw with Brad Green, also an offensive lineman, was not how big he was or strong or could he help us, but that he was a born-again Christian. And he wasn't ashamed to share Jesus with us. So he started to share. And that was my freshman year. And that's how my freshman year ended up, was hearing a lot about a personal relationship with Christ. And then I went home, and then Didi and I started dating. Then I get back my sophomore year. And like you said, that's the year we got married. But several things happened, which was kind of crazy that year. When I went to USC, they had agreed to let me play baseball. Well, I didn't play my freshman year because I was rehabilitating my knee. Mm -hmm. But my sophomore year, I was totally healthy in football. I started and played the entire season. I played baseball that year. And during baseball spring practice and class, I got married. Didi and I got married on a Saturday morning. And we drove down to San Diego for the night, then drove back Sunday in time for school on Monday morning. And I started a series with UCLA and baseball. Um, but that the conversations about religion, spirituality, whatever, I, I kind of referred to it differently because I didn't really know a whole lot about a relationship with Jesus back then. But 
in camp before my sophomore year, there was a lot of conversation after practice before we went to bed. And then Didi and I got married in April of that year. And then it was like, not only was Ed Holtz, who was on staff, and Brad Green, who was a teammate, but now all kinds of people were sharing Christ with us. Uh, Didi and I were married. Her sister and her sister's husband were believers. They started sharing Christ with us. And I'm thinking, okay, this is like an all-out blitz, man. This is a full-court press, you know. But I wanted to know more. Didi and I were married. We wanted to know more. We would grab a Bible and try to read it, and we'd look at each other and say, okay, there's got to be a way to understand this. And, and, you know, we really didn't have, you know, knowledge of the Bible. or. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until later that year, 1978, when we had been married, um, that we sat with her sister and her sister's husband and – by this time, we realized, you know, here I was, this big and rough, tough football player, and we had been married, that we needed Jesus in our lives. And that was that same year, married, played football, played baseball, was healthy, played, actually won a national championship on the baseball team, got to go to the World Series. So things were going pretty well. Mm -hmm. I'd rehab, but we also realized that we needed Jesus in our lives. And that's when I made that personal decision to ask Christ into my life. I say, you know, I can't do it alone. I'm this six foot six, 300 pound guy that's supposed to be macho, mean, but I needed you, Christ. I need you in my life. And Didi did the same thing. So several months after we got married, now we're sitting there with Christ in our lives and right in the center of our marriage. And we got involved with Bible studies and really started to learn God's word. And really that's when God started opening up our eyes and realizing, man, this is amazing. This is, uh, this is what it's all about. We'll be back with today's guest right after this. We appreciate our sponsors, Brennan, Martin, Pugh & Associates, offering next-generation consulting services. Also, EDR Marketing, providing corporate hospitality and event marketing solutions. Their impact provides resources that bring both purpose and meaning for our listening audience. If you're interested in sponsorship opportunities, please be sure to contact us at GameTimeAdjustments.com. Now back with today's conversation. What's something that you established early on, uh, Anthony? And, you know, 42 years, that's a, that's a long, that's a long time. And you guys have had you know, face some huge challenges and you've had some incredible opportunities being, you know, that, that, that life has afforded you. What are some things early on just in terms of resolve and perspective yeah. that you've kind of gone back to time and again that have helped you to, you know, kind of stay the course? Well, you know, I tell people like when we got married, and I shared my background. I didn't have a father role model or a husband role model or, you know, that male role model in my life at home. So here I get married at 19 and Didi, you know, we get married. So we start talking. I wasn't a great communicator at the time. And I'm not saying I'm great now, but much better because of, you know, Didi's gifts in that area. But we just started thinking about how, okay, we're getting married for the long haul here. This is a, a relationship that regardless to what happens, I might not understand something you're going through and vice versa, but we're going to be there for each other. Mm -hmm. If there's something in our marriage that we got to work through, we're going to come to solutions. We're not just going to let things, you know, affect us and not deal with them. So that was early on 
we said, you know, we got to be in this together. We got to make sure that we communicate and, and let each other know where we stand. And, and that's been, you know, 42 years of doing that. And like I said, Bill, I wasn't great at that. Going, you know, when we first got married, I'm better now, mm -hmm. but it's something that I had to really work on and establish in everything we do as a, as a couple, as believers, as father, mothers, you know, so it's really carried over, you know, in our faith, in our relationship with each other and with our kids is saying that, you know, we, if there's something that's bothering us, we've got to work through it. Let's, you know, the easy thing is just to let it go. But then the tough thing is going to be when all those things start to, to build up and it's mm -hmm. just going to explode. So let's work through it. Let's, even though it's going to be tough, let's work through it and come to a solution when we're faced with it. And, uh, you know, early in our marriage, we were faced with some adversity, some physical adversity that I had to go through. Dee Dee didn't understand it, but man, she was there every second of the time supporting me, encouraging me. And I knew that she had my back. And, uh, you know, hopefully now I know that she knew I had her back, but I wanted her to know that I had her back. So those last two years of college were probably the toughest two emotionally for both of us. But like we talked about early in our marriage, man, that, you know, having our faith first and then having each other as sounding boards, as, you know, individuals that we're going to support and work things together, uh, got us through those last couple of years in college and even now 42 years into it. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Uh, just that kind of gritty resolve and then, you know, uh, a commitment to keeping short accounts. You asked me about that, but I'm thankful that I had examples in my life. I had yeah. resources in my life that I could look at someone and say, man, that's what it means to be a, a you know, a, a believer in Christ, but also a husband, a father, a community, you know, individualist. So I'm thankful, you know, back in the day, you know, the Dr. Dobson books, you know, getting those things and reading those on fathering and being a husband. And, you know, and of course, the, the ultimate, you know, game plan, the Bible, you know, reading that and seeing how God wants us to live our lives. But, you know, really understanding that we can't do it alone not only, you know, individually or as a couple, but we need those resources. And I'm thankful that God provided those resources and continues even now uh, as an old guy, you know, that he continues to provide those resources that we can say, you know, we don't know everything that, you know, because I think that's when the slippery slope, you know, whatever you're doing, when you start saying, hey, I got it, I got it. But saying, no, I want more. I want to be, I want to learn. I want to learn. So again, I can't tell you how much I appreciate and how much I'm thankful that God continues to provide those resources for all of us that are there, that, that we can delve into it and really learn and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, be an example to others through all that that we learn. Amen. What's, uh, what's maybe one thing uh, that you do even, you know, in your daily or in your uh, repetitive um, schedule, Anthony, that like helps you to keep your, your faith in perspective you know, kind of vibrant and fresh. Right. Well, there's, there's several things. I think the one thing that, uh, it, that we really, and it's a, it's a pretty consistent, I'm not going to say it's every day, 365, but Didi and I, you know, we're early risers. And one of the mm -hmm. things we love to do before we get going is we pray together and we pray for each other. We pray for our kids. We pray for friends. We pray for situations. We pray for the country. I mean, we pray for a lot of, we spend, you know, if it takes 15 minutes, if it takes 20, 30 that's one thing. Uh, one of the thing, another thing that we like to do together is Bible studies. You know, there's topical studies. We read scripture, we listen to different. And then for myself, you know, the same thing uh, again, you know, being consistent, which is hard for me, reading scriptures, listening to, you know, different teachers. I mean, 
you know, before this whole pandemic thing, we'd go to church on Sunday. But prior to that, I love listening to, you know, guys like Charles Stanley or different guys that are teaching early Sunday morning. So really, I try to, to, to listen and read as much from different perspectives, uh, teaching on the Bible and teaching about life. But I think that the one thing that helps me stay accountable and really starts out is the prayer with Didi and our studies together, because then that encourages me. I have a group of guys that, uh, you know, or couples that like we're really do right now to get another three or four couples to get into studies together. And that's something that we like to do at our house. So there's just a variety of things that for myself keeps me motivated, really keeps me focused and saying, Hey, I have to do this. It's, it's simple and practical. So good for you for taking those steps and making that part of your, uh, your daily, uh, your daily experience. That's fantastic. So let's, uh, let's transition here just for a couple minutes. Um, some people have said you're the greatest lineman ever to play in the NFL or certainly the best um, or one of the best left tackles um, ever. So Talk maybe, give us uh, maybe a few um, highlights. So NFL induction, recently the all-century team um, played in two Super Bowls, uh, 11 Pro Bowls, over 13 seasons. I mean, that's amazing. And, you know, certainly you talked a little bit about the knee injury issues you had coming out of USC and then being third-round the third pick overall in the 1980 draft. I mean, it, it really is, um, you know, like when you, when you hear it, you probably say, or when I, when we talked after you got named to the all century team, you said you and Didi were pinching yourself. Like, (laughs) is this true? So even as I say it now, it's amazing. So talk maybe a highlight or two about, the incredible career you've had in the NFL and what that means to you. Well, first of all, when I hear that, or you just rattle those off or someone talks about it, it's uh, appreciation, thankfulness, and of course, humility. Uh, Because one of the the messages I share with a lot of young people is don't ever forget where you've come from and what you've gone through. Mm -hmm. And and I just shared with you my family background, uh, you know, the adversity I went through, uh, the three knee operations in four years at USC, my senior year, getting hurt the very first quarter of the first game, missing the entire season, rehabilitating and playing in the Rose Bowl, the only game, not knowing if I was going to even play in the NFL, and then to have the Bengals draft me in the first round with the third pick. So you have to understand, I mean, there is an amazing amount of thankfulness and appreciation what God has allowed me to experience the 13 years in the NFL and then the 28 years I've been retired. But it was one of those things where when the Bengals drafted me, I took the approach, I'm not putting it in cruise control now. The fact that they picked me with the third pick means nothing. I still got to go to camp. I got to win the job. So now, in addition to team goals, I started setting all these individual goals. Of course, team goals, win games, playoffs, let's go to the Super Bowl. I mean, I wanted to be the best teammate to help my guys. Now, personal goals, because I only played one healthy season. Every time I put the Bengals jersey on, I wanted to play in the game. I wanted to play over 10 seasons in the NFL. I wanted to not only be on the team, but I wanted to start every year I was on the team. I wanted to be a pro bowler. So all these, not knowing if it ever happened. So when all that started to happen, I mean, I was just like, okay, after five straight pro bowls, you got to work even harder. Turn up your work ethic. Don't be satisfied. So that's the approach that God 
God gave me was like, you know, don't be satisfied, but work even harder. So those of us that have played sports, you play sports when you're young, 21, 22 in the NFL, it's like, well, he's a young guy. He's got to learn. Then you establish yourself. Now you start getting close to 30. You're an old guy. There's young guys trying to take your job. So you work even harder. Um, so during my playing days, I mean, that was just, I, I didn't think Hall of Fame. I didn't think, I just was thinking play every year. Hopefully after a couple of Pro Bowls, you get excited about going to Hawaii for a week. Oh, by the way, you got to play a game. You, know, you can take your family to Hawaii and they pay for it. But, you know, so that was my thought. You know, I get to play in two Super Bowls. After my first Super Bowl, which was my second year, I'm thinking, we're going to play in this thing every year, you know. Well, it, it happened like ten, eight, nine years later, we played in our second one, mm -hmm. understanding how difficult it is to play in the Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, you, you mentioned 13 years in the NFL, 11 Pro Bowls, eight, nine times offensive line of the year. It's just like, this is unbelievable, especially after only playing one healthy season. So, again, I can't say enough how much I appreciate how thankful I am how much I thank God for just the opportunity to play in the NFL and then after I retire I'm thinking okay that's it 13 years I got to accomplish all that let's let's move on with our life let's do something else then the accolades continue to come and as you mentioned I mean you know shortly two years after I retired they come out with the 75th anniversary all-time team I'm one of the three tackles you know, then, you know, five years after I retire, the first time I'm eligible, I'm inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm there with Deacon Jones and Gail Sayers and Bart Starr and Merlin Olson. I'm, thinking, I'm looking around and I'm now part of this group. And I, we continue to pinch ourselves because, you know, the drive from Cincinnati Canton is a little over three hours. And going up that first year when I was going to be inducted, I was like a kid driving up. I'm like, okay, I do have my license. I feel like I'm 10 years old going up to meet all these, you know, legends. And then, you know, so I get inducted and then, you know, a couple other things happen. And then, as you mentioned, this past year, the 100th anniversary of the NFL, they choose, they have a blue ribbon panel and the guys that were on that panel were amazing. And to, you know, there's guys that didn't make it that, you know, are qualified, but to be one of those hundred guys that were selected as a you know hundredth anniversary all-time team. Again, I'm, I'm there with Jim Brown. I mean, Jim Brown, come on. He's considered the greatest football player to ever play and to be one of the top 100 and to be on that team. So it just, it continues to just blow me away. And as you mentioned, to be, you know, when they talk about offensive linemen, one of the best or the best, I mean, it's just like, I'm thankful to just be mentioned as one of the, the guys they consider because, you know, you, you start going down the list of guys, you know, John Hanna and Jim Parker and Forrest Gregg and then guys that, you know, played even, you know, Jonathan Ogden after me and, you know, Walter Jones and, so it's like, then they throw in this guy from Ontario, California, Anthony Munoz. So uh, it is, it's one of those things that I look back and I'm just so thankful mm -hmm. that not only did Didi and I have a chance to experience that together, but our kids have had a chance to experience that together, that I had a group, a support group that helped me through the journey to, to be able to experience that. Because the last point I'll make is that, you know, I, I kind of chuckle and laugh, and you've probably heard this a lot of times, he is a self-made man. She is a self-made woman. And then they, they receive an accolade or an award. So they get up to the podium and they, they're self-made. They don't thank themselves. They thank all these people that have helped them accomplish what they're you're getting recognized for. And I'm thinking, if they're self-made, why are they thanking all these people? And that's what I'm thankful for is that from as a kid through high school, college, in the NFL, and even aside from the NFL, that there's been all these people that I can say thank you 
for being a part of this amazing journey and helping me out to accomplish the things I've been a part of. Yeah, it's a, it really part of the legacy you're talking about your life and the legacy that you're leaving is you wanting to give back to your community. And so I know we talked for years about you doing um, the Anthony Munoz Foundation, which you wisely stepped into and have given incredible leadership and the impact that that's had and is having over the years. So tell us a little bit about that and then kind of wrap up with how we can or how our audience can go and find out more about the foundation and or participate and or give to help you give back to the community. No, it's excellent. I appreciate that. And it is a passion of mine, the Anthony Munoz Foundation. In fact, this next year we'll be celebrating 20 years. But wow. you know, it's interesting because I didn't start the foundation until eight years after I retired from the NFL. Mm -hmm. Understanding that while you're playing, you have a name recognition, you have leverage, you have relevance. But also for me, while I was playing the NFL, I was a husband, I was a father, and then I had to play and produce on the football field. So I didn't have time. So I was involved with a lot of other groups. So eight years after I retired, our kids were like sophomore juniors in college. I said, okay, now's the time that I can, because when I put my name on some, I want to be totally engaged. So I knew when I started the foundation back in 2002, I could be totally engaged in, with our seven programs. So we came up with a mission statement to engage the, the tri-state area, this greater Cincinnati area, to impact youth mentally, physically, and spiritually. And now we have seven programs where we're doing that. We have great staff. We have great board members. Of course, the community is very giving and engaging. As you know, you spend a lot of time here in Cincinnati. So, you know, I wanted to, to start it after I knew that I could be totally engaged with the, you know, if it's going to have my name on it, I wanted to be here. I wanted to be involved. I wanted to have hands-on uh, impact. And that's what's happened for, you know, like I said, going on 20 years that will go next year. We have seven programs, everything from mentoring young elementary kids, you know, from K through five. And, you know, that's our mentoring program. And then once they age out after fifth grade, they go middle school. So we have a program we call Unplugged. We didn't want to lose those kids in middle school before they got to our high school program. So we do a lot of same thing, tutoring and taking them to businesses to show them that, you know, when they're getting ready to go to high school, you can think about being a business person. You can think about going to college and, or a trade school. So we still pour into those middle school kids. And then we have what we call our overnight character camps. We have one we call our impact for eternity camp. We take about 150 young men away to camp. We do teach them a little football but it's a third, a third football, a third team building, a third character along with chapel program. So we're gonna share faith with them. That's one we do in the, in the spring. Then we have another one in the fall, which is the one in the spring is pretty diverse. The one in the fall is 100% Hispanic kids, the same type of thing. Teach them a little football. And I joke with them because a lot of these kids play the other football, you know, soccer. I tell them, we're gonna teach you the real football. <laughs> so we have fun with that. And of course the character and the team building, we have team building activities. So we do two of those. And then we have what we call our youth leadership seminar. We bring together anywhere from 80 to 100 high schools for a full day uh, event where we bring in motivational leadership speakers. And we have throughout the day, we have speakers and we have breakout sessions where we have moderators that will take these high school kids into breakout sessions and discuss things that are tough that they might not discuss on their campuses. And at the end of the day, we have what we call our community service challenge. 
these young men and women initiate and put together community service projects. A lot of them have been sustainable and we, we track them. I'll pick two winners after a certain number of months. I give them some money to infuse. And I, I have to share this one. One of the projects, Aiken High School is a Cincinnati public school. It's a, they don't have a lot of resources, but it doesn't have to be financial resources. These young men and women have mental resources and initiative resources. They put together, built, I'm talking built, built brick and mortar, a school in Sierra Leone. And they built this school. The following year, they had a, a 5K walk with this inner city school team with the suburban school. They raised over $20,000 to go directly to the school. And in Sierra Leone, it takes a dollar a year to put a kid through school. So those are the top of, type of community projects that these kids are putting together. And then, uh, so that's our youth leadership seminar. We have two types of scholarships. In the spring, we give 18 one-time scholarships. Uh, it's two to 2,500 to 5,000 one-time scholarship to 18 student athletes. And then in the, when we have our dinner in the summer, which has been pushed back, we give anywhere from four to 10, depending on our budget, depending on our partners, $20,000 scholarship. So that's, mm -hmm. we give a student 5,000 a year for four years. And those are seniors going to colleges in this area. So that's what we do at the foundation. Like I said, next year will be 20 years. We've raised I haven't looked at the exact amount, but I'd have to say it's upward 15, $16 million. And, um, and I tell people I want to be engaged. I am. I, I run our board meetings. I don't know everything I need to know about non-for-profits, but I do know I look over our, our audits and I do know that uh, one of the numbers they look at is the percentage per dollar that we give to the kids. In the last several years, quite a few years, it's been between 89 and 91%. I think this year we reported I think 90, 91% of the dollar goes to kids. So uh, it's a passion of mine. Uh, for those that want to find out more about our programs and how to help, you can go to MunozFoundation.org. And, uh, you know, we look for all partners, volunteer partners. We look for corporate partners, financial partners. And every kid does not pay a penny. Every kid that goes to our one of our programs, we might have 150 kids at our overnight camp for three days. They don't pay a penny. They just show up. We feed them three meals a day. They go through the events. We outfit them. I mean, they go home like they've been, to, you know, Christmas shopping. And we love doing that for our kids. So, uh, and I want to keep it that way. I want every kid to know that he can just come be part of the impact program and not have to worry about, can I pay for it or can I pay for it? We're going to take care of that cost. Very cool. Well, um, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't thank you enough for taking uh, time and, uh, Give us one more time how people can go to um, participate. I mean, your uh, your name is the gold standard in terms of, you know, um, integrity and, you know, really producing um, a great outcome with regard to the foundation and all the incredible work that you're doing. So I'm sure there'll be people in our audience that will want to go and learn more about it and participate and, and financially support. So one more time. Yeah, you can go um, our website, Munoz Foundation, Munoz, M-U-N-O-Z, foundation.org. And uh, it'll list everything we do, how you can donate, how you can help. Thank you again for listening. If you missed the podcast, don't worry. We have show notes, links, and resources available at GameTimeAdjustments.com.
Until next time, remember that no matter the challenges you face in life, with the proper timely adjustment, you can not only redefine success, but you can ultimately win all throughout life. Our host for this podcast is Bill Pugh. Our producer is Matt Dunn. Our associate producer is Ashley Russell. And I'm your co-host, James Harrelson. On behalf of all of us here at Game Time Adjustments, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back again with you very soon.